that you shared about trusting God is going to fit so well with what we've already talked about. You know, the Bible says if you find a wife, you find a good thing. And uh, I have a good thing, and I'm very happy uh, about that. And uh, Heather did such a great job in Sunday school, you know, confronting our pride through James chapter 4. So, Pastor John, wherever you are right now, you got a good thing too. And, uh, you know, we were sitting here waiting for someone to, you know, respond to the Holy Spirit. I think he was speaking more. He speaks more than we respond. Uh, that's not on you. That's even on me. I mean, you know, he, he speaks. We know the right thing to do and don't do it. Yeah, I hate that verse too, just like uh, Heather does. And, um, and so while we were waiting, and I just thought, well, you know, I, I know God's given me a word to share, so let's just move on. And, but then I'm like, I just prayed this prayer, literally. I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, just confirm your word for the day. Confirm your word. Guess what we're preaching on today? Repentance. Doug, you got a good thing too. <laughs> Isn't it awesome? So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we've been in ki um, Killing Kryptonite. And uh, the, the book is still on the table in the back available. If you haven't picked one up, I am I, I'm profoundly... I believe more every day this message is a message for the church right now, uh, more so than ever. And if you are not reading it, there's still some copies left. I encourage you to do it. But we've talked about how this spiritual kryptonite neutralizes the power in the life of a believer. We've talked about how uh, kryptonite is dangerous, it's destructive, it's deceptive, um, it's contagious, it spreads through our body the way the sickness spreads through our natural bodies. We talked about the marriage covenant and a picture of Christ and the church being that same covenant. And in James chapter 4, when he talks about adultery in a marriage relationship, it's the same as the adultery that we commit spiritually with God. And that idolatry is the spiritual kryptonite that we've been talking about. And that idolatry is rooted in disobeying what God has clearly revealed. Idolatry is not about statues, it's not about temples, it's not about bowing down to things. It's about when God says, here's what I want you to do, and you do something else, that's idolatry. As Christians, we like to use, we do like to use Christian cliche phrases of, well, I'll pray about it. But here's the thing, if God said it in his word, there is nothing to pray about. And any, I mean, that's like me being in a marriage covenant and having a woman walk up and say, hey, I'd like to spend the night with you. Would you come to my house? Well, let me pray about it. You think my wife, well, let me talk to my wife about it. You think she's going to be like, yeah, okay, just for tonight. No. She's going to say, why are you even, she might even hit me. She probably should, but she's a, a better person than that. She would just give me a look. But that's what we do in the church. We're like, well, I know God's word says this, but let me pray about it. And we talked about how dangerous this can be because there is example after example of people in the word who God said, don't do this or do this. And they just kept asking, oh, but God, could you, could you let me have? And he eventually gave them the thing they were asking for, even though he had already said no. And it actually destroyed them. It hurt them. And it's such a danger for us we ended last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 
where the Apostle Paul writing to the church says, I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And he's warning them, I'm going to get louder, so maybe we want to bring me down a little bit, because um, you put up with this, and he's not talking about some false god. He's talking about another Jesus, that knockoff Jesus that we talked about last week, where some of the characteristics of Jesus are there, but not all of the characteristics of Jesus. We like to cut and paste the Jesus of this book where we want to do the things that we agree with and like, but the things that we don't, we try to avoid them. I love just the realness of Heather today to say, I don't really like that verse. But she doesn't cut it out of the scripture. She lets that thing come in and cut away at her flesh. That's a powerful truth that we need to remember. And remember, Eve was deceived by something that looked good. It looked good. But it wasn't good because God said, don't eat it. That's what made it not good. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, a few chapters before, the Apostle Paul uh, writes to them and says, I'm not sorry I sent a severe letter to you. I was sorry at first because I, was no, I know it was painful for you. I know that I said Revelation chapter 3, I promise we're getting there, but you, we need to hear this. I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. See, he writes them this letter that's hard for them to understand. It's hard for them to receive it. But he says to them, I had to write it because it produced in you a sorrow that led to repentance. Not a sorrow, a worldly sorrow. That's what he goes on to talk about. And we finished with this last week. There's a sorrow that when we feel corrected, we either just get so hard on ourselves. Well, I'm just a terrible person. That's not what we're talking about. Repentance is just to agree with God and to turn around and go the other direction. We don't have to beat ourselves. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so he writes them this letter and he says to them, I, I didn't want to write it. And we talked about how John says throughout this book, I didn't want to write this book. I wanted to write a nice message. I wanted to write something that makes everybody feel happy and good. And here's the thing, I know that all of us in our lives, if we just said, hey, take out a sheet of paper, write down all the problems you're facing right now. I bet we could fill lots of sheets. I know what some of you are walking through right now. And I know the difficulties. And I would rather say, hey, God's got you. He loves you. He's for you. And all of that is true. But the weakness I think sometimes we have in our Christian lives is because we haven't understood this term, repentance or what it means to repent. And so that's the starting place. And that's where we are today. We're in chapters 19 through 21, and we're talking about this spiritual weakness, this kryptonite, and what it means to us. And I want to tell you, where this idea of repentance may seem very elementary to us. A lot of the things that I, I say today, if you've been in church for any length of time or you've read any parts of the Bible, you will be tempted today to say, yeah, I know that. I mean, you won't say it out loud. I mean, some of you may. But you're going to be tempted to think that. But here's what we're, we're looking for today. It's not whether I have the information. It's whether my life has seen the transformation. 
Okay, so we really got to look at our lives today and say, you know what, I know I believe that, but am I living it? I loved just Carol's ability to come up here and be transparent and say, I need to repent. In fact, even today, as I was just going over my notes again and, uh, and thinking on, on these things, I had to go over here and kneel down and just take a moment and repent. Because this is such a part, it's so infiltrated our society, especially in the church world, and I don't know that we fully get it. Revelation chapter 3, are you there? You should be there because I gave you so much time. This is a letter that Jesus tells John to write on his behalf to a church. Okay, now, do you know that most of the apostles that wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you know, those guys, they actually had someone write it for them. Paul actually wrote, he didn't write his letters. In fact, when he signed his letter and he said, see what big words I'm writing right here? But that's because he took the pen and said, I'm writing this now, okay? They dictated it. And so in much the same way, Jesus, by the Spirit of God, is dictating this letter to the church in Laodicea on his behalf to this church. Now, I don't know about you and I, but if, we, if I went to the mailbox right across here this week and I opened it up and the return address said Jesus, I would be excited. Would you be excited? I would be excited. I wouldn't be able to, I would tear that baby open and I would read it and then I would be ready to share it with you guys. And this is what he writes. Look at, look at these. Start in verse, sorry, I had the wrong translation and thank you, Micaiah, for going to get my little Bible. That's uh, the only one I could tell her I knew was NIV because I wanted it in NIV and uh, it's really small so I have to take my glasses off. Just, you know, getting older every day. Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, angel just means messenger, pastor, different translations say different things. These are the words of the amen. Okay, Jesus is the amen. He's the yes and the amen, the so be it. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I don't care what anyone else says or what it looks like in our world. He is the ruler of creation. I know your deeds. I know them. You are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, lukewarm would be like apathetic, you know, just somewhere in the middle, you know, not real passionate about God, but not like, you know, cold. I go to church, you know, I read the Bible, you know, but I'm just kind of in the middle. I don't want to be one of those crazies over there, but I'm not in the world, so I'm, I'm good. Good church folks. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize. Okay, these, again, you got to understand, this is not written to the the city of Laodicea. This is written to the church in Laodicea. People that are showing up for prayer meetings. People that are showing up to, to, to worship services. People that are doing things in ministry. This is the church that he's writing to. Now, if I got this letter out of the mailbox and I started reading it to you, I don't know that you'd be like, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for this word of encouragement. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You go to church every week, but you don't realize you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so I counsel, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. 
and a salve, an ointment to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, quick, and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, and sat down on my Father's throne in heaven. Do you hear the words that Christy said today? I want to come off this cross. But because he was victorious, how many of you know you're going to want to quit? You're going to want to quit. But to him who is victorious, here's the promise. You will sit on a throne with me. So don't, don't quit. It's interesting because we use this phrase, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, to, to try to get sinners to repent. I mean, you know, I mean, Billy Graham himself probably did that. I don't want to, you know, make, I don't want to tell Billy Graham he wasn't using the word correctly, but it, it, we, we aren't. Jesus wasn't talking to the city of Laodicea saying, I'm at the door knocking. Granted, he is at the door of every human being knocking, trying to say, hey, I'm here for you. I'm coming to you. I'm pursuing you. But this is the church. He's like, you come to church, but I'm outside. I'm knocking on the door. You see your condition one way, but I see it another way. And I want you to buy some things from me. He says, I want you to buy gold. I want you to buy provision. I want you to get from me. You know what? We, we love to strive in our day and age. And the scripture says you can work hard for stuff and then you can bring it home and you can put it in a purse with holes because if you don't trust me to provide for you, you will never be able to provide for you. You will never have enough money. You will never have enough time. You will never have enough positions. You will never have enough awards. You will never have enough recognition. You will never get enough love from your spouse. You'll never have enough if you try to get it for yourself, if you try to strive after it. Come and get it from me. Whatever you need, I'm your provider. I give you whatever you need. He says, I want you to buy righteousness, white robes to put on to cover your nakedness. The righteousness that we put on is his righteousness. It's not how well I'm doing. It's what he's already done for me. But we like to, to strut around thinking I'm better than the world. The Pharisee who prayed, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. But I am like that sinner over there except for what he did for me. But because of what he did for me, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. And so I can put on these robes because of what he's done for me. And then we need salve to put on our eyes so that we can see what he sees. Do, you, I, I, do not miss this. Going to church does not guarantee you will see like he sees. Praying and reading your Bible does not guarantee you will see as he sees. The only thing that guarantees we see what he sees is repentance. Repentance. It's the only thing that guarantees we see what he sees. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 He's writing these words, and he says to these people, the believers, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God. 
I have never been more convinced that we have to be careful the language we use when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. We do not invite Jesus to come into our hearts. We do not make room for Jesus in our lives. We repent. To repent means I was going one direction and I recognize that's the wrong direction and I turn around and I go his direction. That's repentance. I agree with him. I am selfish. There is nothing good in me, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go toward the cross because because of the cross, there's nothing good in me, but because of that, I become right with you. That's repentance. And why do we have so many people that sit in our church pews week after week that are praying about things that God clearly says do not do? Well, because... We've invited Jesus into our heart. We've made room for him at our our table. But ultimately, I get to call the shots. If I disagree with you, I'll just keep asking until you see it my way. Now, we would never vocalize that, but that's how we live our lives. And it has made us weak and anemic. And because the power of God is not easily recognized in our lives, then we create a theology that says, well, God just doesn't do it that way anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't use miracles and power. And he, you know, he doesn't, it, that's just not the way it is today. It's not the way it is today because we've stopped repenting. To repent means to change our minds, to change our personality, to reorientate our minds from this direction to that direction. And it involves our mind, but it goes deeper. It's our will. It's our emotion. It penetrates our hearts. Matthew chapter 15 says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. They come out of our hearts. I mean, we like to say, well, you know, I know that I said that about you, and I'm sorry, that's not my heart. Yes, it is. And that doesn't mean you have to condemn yourself and feel bad. You just have to say, you know what? That was in my heart. I apologize. That That had no place being in my heart. Because I'm a child of God, it had no place being there. And I I repent of that. That's what we say. But we want to soften down our language because, hey, we're good church folk. We got Jesus in our lives. I don't want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus to take my life. Proverbs 23, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Repentance is to move away from what we thought was right to what God says is right. John Bevere defines repentance in the book this way, and I love it. I've lived as one who judges what is best for me, but now I know I'm completely wrong. From this moment forward, no matter what God says is best, I will believe and embrace it with all my heart, mind, and behavior. That is repentance. We have this this society today, this church culture where we have the version of Christianity where Jesus is in our hearts and we're literally pursuing the same things that the world is pursuing. But we're just a lot more morally good than them. We strive after the same stuff, but Jesus doesn't say strive after the world. He says, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And if you do that, then I'll add things to your life. But if you strive after those, you're going to find they will never be enough. And you'll be weak. I know on the inside you're getting it. 
but it's just, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, I just, every time I, I put this together and tried to think about what Jesus is saying to this church, I'm like, Lord, I, I've been in church for 42 years. And I could be sitting here thinking I'm this way, and I'm not. Give me some ointment to see like you see. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're not a believer, but it means there's something you need to repent of. You need to turn from. We cannot be a follower of Christ and willingly hold on to sin. If we try to hold on to those old behaviors, we have created the knockoff Jesus that we talked about last week. It is not enough to hear the word. We have to do what it says. And it's actually dangerous to come week after week and every day get up and read through the Bible in a year and hear the word but not put it into practice. That's the most dangerous place to live. Because then the light you think you have is actually darkness. Over 500 different commands in the New Testament to depart from different types of thinking and different types of behaviors. 500 commands. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he knows what's best for us. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's merciful. Yes, he did all these things for us. But that does not mean I get to now still call the shots. That's what got us here in the first place. We have to trust his word and what he says. As I was reading through these chapters, it's just amazing how much the word repentance is littered throughout the Gospels. Littered. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it says. The beginning. And then it goes on to talk about John the Baptist. Right after that in Mark chapter 1. And we know from Matthew 11, all of the prophets in the law prophesied until John. So John the Baptist is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not the beginning. John is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist came preaching, repent, turn, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And just in case you don't believe it, Jesus began to teach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In fact, the message of Jesus over and over wasn't, invite me into your life, invite me into your heart. It was repent. Over and over, he said, repent. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus began to denounce the towns where he performed miracles because they did not repent. They went to church, and they had church. They had lively worship. They had demons being cast out of people. The gifts of the Spirit were operating. Trying to put it in modern-day language, okay? They had church, but they hadn't repented. And if we don't repent, it doesn't matter what we do in this room. It's all striving. Luke chapter 13, verse 3, I tell you, unless you repent you will perish. That's pretty red and white. Mark chapter 6, the disciples went out and preached. (laughs) Repent. That's what they preached. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was about to go into heaven, he prophesied it. The Messiah will suffer. Well, he actually read the prophecy, but still prophesying. 
the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, you don't have to actually use the word repent because we don't use that in our modern day language. So people may not understand it. But turn. You have to turn. You have to agree you were selfish. You were doing it your way. God says that's not the right way. You turn and you go his way. That's repentance. That's the gospel. Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul talking to King Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then in Judea. To all the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Do you understand what that means? That means I was going this way. I was selfish. I was slanderous. I was greedy. I was mean. I did all these things. I was rude. I was disobedient to my parents, but I repented, and I prove it by now obeying my parents, by now being kind, now doing good to those who hate me. I go this direction. That's the gospel. Acts chapter 17. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent. Repent. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John in the book goes through all of the kings throughout the the Israel history. And he looks at them and he divides them into three different groups. There were the kings that did what was right and there were the kings who did what was wrong. They did not do what was, was right in the eyes of God. They did wickedness. They did evil. They did what was right in their own eyes. But then he takes this group over here that did what was right and he divides them into two categories. There were the kings who did what was right in their personal lives, but they let the people keep living in sin. And then there was a group of kings that did what was right in their own eyes, and they tore down all of the idols that existed. And what he's doing is he's calling us not to just put this into practice in our personal lives. Yes, put it into practice in our personal lives. Repent, tear down the idols in our lives that we set up, the things where we have put our own wisdom and ideas over what God has said. We put it above him. We're going to tear those things down. We're going to demolish every stronghold, every reasoning, everything that sets itself against the knowledge of God. We're going to take every thought captive and we're going to make it obedient to Christ. Yes, in our personal lives. But every one of us in this room has a sphere of influence that we are a part of. Whether you are a parent, whether you are a, a, a manager at work, whether you are just a, a friend to people, you are, there are people in your life, not that you go in and you start tearing down their idols in their lives, but you help them to see it's time to get things right. And in the body of Christ, you know why the, the, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, warn each other daily while it's still today that you are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you think he was talking to every other church except Huron first? No. The people in this room, all of us, we run the risk to be, by, to be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. So we warn each other every single day while it's still today, while there's still time to repent. I just want to highlight one of the kings that he put up 
in the, the book because there are some of us in our lives that, you know, pride is thinking too highly of yourself. We all would agree with that, where we think, you know, well, look what I've done. Look, what, look at who I am. That's pride. But there's also a pride that, that says, well, I, you know, I could never I could never do that. I could never, you know, stand up and tear down idols. I could, I could never share it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I can't share my faith with someone, so I just leave tracks everywhere I go. And it's great that you leave tracks everywhere you go, but you're, that's still pride because I'm still the focus of that. I can do whatever the Spirit of God inside me leads me to do. And Jesus said, go everywhere and tell everybody. You know what I'm saying? That's a great place to say amen. We got to go do that. Not because I feel led, but because I've been commanded to do it. And the Spirit of God, who longs jealously for all of the people we shop with on a regular basis, He longs for them to come into His kingdom. And we don't. We long to get our groceries and go home. Ouch. I know. I mean, I do. I just, I want to get my stuff and I want to get out. I got stuff to do. I got places to go. I got things to, I get, you know, I got to go here and there. Sort of like James chapter 4. You say you got to go here, you got to go there, you got to go there. What about what I want you to do? Because Jesus, you're in my heart. I want you to come along for the ride. Jesus, take the wheel. 2 Kings chapter 23. King Josiah. Love this guy. Young guy great guy. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. Do you ever think about how long that took? You almost done, king? I got places to go. Who's, you're not going to say that to the king. <laughs> you're going to sit there, you're going to be quiet, and you're going to listen. You might daydream a little bit, but you're going to listen to the king. He read the covenant, which had been found in the temple, because they, they had lost it. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, his statutes, his decrees, with all his heart and all his soul, confirming the words of the covenant written in the book, then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Not only did he do that, but over 25 times in this chapter, it says he removed high places, he burned high places, he did away with, he destroyed, he smashed, he cut down, he tore down, he desecrated, he demolished. He went throughout the kingdom and he tore it all down. Everything he could find, he just started tearing stuff down. Second Kings chapter 23 records the end of his life with these words. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Is all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength pursuing him and his kingdom? is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Really what we live by or just a verse we've memorized? I've been challenged over the last few weeks as I've watched, as I said earlier, watched Jacob Bach walk, walk through this moment of losing his wife when, you know, we, we all believe with all our heart at any moment God could have stepped in. She could have been miraculously healed. Um, how's he going to handle that moment, that platform? 
How would I handle that moment, that platform? Um, I hope as well as he has. Um, I've encouraged him. He's been an encouragement to me. And as I was watching him speak one day uh, at one of the memorial services, one of the four memorial services they did for her, as he was sharing, the words of Peter came to my mind, arm yourselves to suffer. Arm yourselves to suffer. And I thought, Lord, am I really ready for that? I mean, are there things in my life that I cling to? Remember, Jesus said you got to give up everything, even every relationship, even, even your, your, your kids. I mean, how, how, how horrible to think when I lose my kid, I have to wrestle with this idea that, you know, should I, should I, should I just quit? Should I just, you know, stop pursuing the kingdom? Should I, you know, take a six-year sabbatical because i got to get things in order? Or do I just got to somehow pick up and keep going? And the question came to me, and I don't know, but if I'm already dead, what have I got to lose? If I'm already dead, what do I have to lose? I'm not telling you it's not going to hurt. I can't imagine the dark moments of their lives. Yeah, it's easy when they're on a stage and they got all their friends there to support them, but there's dark moments. We know it. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is not if I can go on, but how I will go on. Not if it's possible, but I know it's possible because of the spirit that God has put in me, so I'm going to look for how. I know it's going to happen, so i got to look for where it is. It's not if, it's how. See, Jesus taught us if we hear his words and we put them into practice, we are building our house on a rock. And when the storms come, when the disappointments come, when the failures come, when the confusion comes, when the, the diagnosis comes, it does not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. See, the test of whether or not our lives are built on the rock isn't whether or not we show up for church on time. It's whether or not when the bottom falls out, am I still standing? And it doesn't mean maybe I don't fall down a little, but I get back up. If I fall six times, I rise seven. That's what Proverbs says. That's the righteous man. I just refuse to stay down. But the foolish man builds his house on the sand, and when the storms come, it falls with a great crash. So see, the question is, have we repented? Have we repented? I love that in Sunday school this morning, we talked about just that one thing, that one thing that Jesus puts his finger on, because that's who he is. I mean, I know he's gracious, he's merciful, he's loving, he's amazing, he's marvelous, he's all those things we sing about, but he's also the God that goes after the one thing. He did it right here in Luke chapter 18. A good, good teacher, the ruler says, what do I have to do to get an eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You know them. You commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Check. All these I've done since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he says to him, you, you still lack just one thing. There's one thing. See, 99% surrender, 99% obedience, that's not repentance. God, I agree with 
the majority of your, your word. So I'm going to turn around and I'm, I'm just going to do all of it except this one thing. This one thing. That one thing. Because you know what? Do good to those who, who hurt me. I'll do everything but that. You don't understand. We're telling the God who, while we were his enemies, <laughs> did that for us, that he doesn't understand what someone did to us. That one thing I'm going to hold on to. Sell everything you had, he said to them. Give it to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he went away sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looks at him, he's sad. He says to his disciples, hey, you know, it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell you something? Americans are rich. That verse should keep us awake at night. We are rich. Every person in this room, by the world standards, we are all rich. And it's difficult for the rich to get into heaven. Why? Because I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. I'm rich. But you could be miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So repent. Unless we be overwhelmed, like the apostles who say, well, then who could be saved? Some of you in your own mind right now might have just said, well, who could be possibly saved then? And Jesus says, with God, nothing is impossible. He's still for us. He's still He's not trying to make it harder to get into heaven. He's not looking for you to fail. He's actually putting everything in our paths to help us succeed. Calling us to repentance is not his anger. It's his love. The last scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we covered again last week. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Remember, this is the, the apostle that was beaten, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, whipped, scourged, stoned and left for dead, imprisoned. You know, that guy. There are going to be terrible times in these days because people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, good, treacherous, rash. Rash, that means we just do it quickly. I don't think about it. I just do what is right. I do what feels right. I don't pray about it. I don't seek the Lord for direction. That just is, that looks good for me, so I'm going to take it. That's rash. That doesn't, I mean, surely that's not as bad as like homosexuality. I mean, homosexuality is a terrible sin. Being rash, that's not a bad sin. Yeah, because you're relying on just your own wisdom and not God's. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, but having a form of godliness and denying its power have nothing to do with those people. Disobedient to parents, rash, unforgiving, slanderous, without love, proud, whether thinking too highly or too lowly of ourselves, abusive. The call is to repent. It's to say, God, I'm selfish. I'm completely wrong. And I'm going to start pursuing you with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. And anything that comes against you I'm going to get rid of. I'm going to get rid of. See, you don't have to sit here today and be like, wow, I'm so overwhelmed because there's like 15 things on that list. Don't put that list from 2 Timothy chapter 3 back up because, oh, my goodness. It doesn't matter whether you got one thing or 600 things. 
If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. That's what James says. So it doesn't, it's not like, you know, a list. It's just I'm guilty of one. If there's one area, Jesus says to that rich man, there's just one thing you lack. And we're all like, man, only one thing? I got like 500 things. But that one thing keeps him out of the kingdom. That one thing I'm going to hold on to. I need to start pursuing him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. From this moment forward, no matter what God says is best, I will believe it and I will embrace it with all my heart, all my mind, and all my behavior. Would you bow your heads with me? I know that a message on repentance is a hard one to hear. It's a hard one to preach, I promise you. It's a hard one to prepare. But I love the fact that God confirmed his word before I ever spoke a word. He has written a letter to Huron first today. And he says, I stand at your door and I knock. And if you will open the door to me, the door of repentance, you'll turn from your way. You'll turn from what you think is right, from selfishness, from whatever selfish ambition or motivation we have. And we'll turn to him. He'll come in. He'll come in. He'll come in. He longs to come in. He doesn't say, I'll stand here at the door and knock for a little while. He just says, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to knock. And when you open that door, I'm going to come in. I don't need to belabor the point. I think I've hit it hard enough. If there's an area in your life that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today and said, repent, repent. Repent from not trusting me. Repent from worry. Repent from fear. Repent from doubt. Repent from slander. Repent from not choosing love. Repent from being disobedient. Repent from anything. 500 commands to choose. I'm not talking about things we struggle with, where we're, we're getting help, we're growing in the Lord. We are, we, I'm talking about things that are in our lives that we're allowing to remain in our lives without calling it sin without saying, I need to turn away from this. Those are the things that we're talking about today. I need to repent of these mindsets, these behaviors. If that's you and you want to repent, I want you right where you are just to stand to your feet. Say, God, today I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent. I'm going my way, and today I'm going your way. I need to repent. everyone across the room to stand with me. Those of you that stood and said, I need to repent in just a moment, I'm going to pray over you. And then I'm going to dismiss this service. But I'm going to invite our prayer team to the front. 
and they're going to be here. And if you, if you need to confess something to someone or you need someone just to agree with you in prayer or you have questions, we are here and we want to, to meet with you. We want to pray with you. If you have a need that you want prayer for, I want to encourage you to, to just come. We want to pray with you for God to bring healing, to bring restoration, to bring hope to you in every way. So we're going to make ourselves available. And so as I close in prayer, prayer team, would you come? Make yourselves ready here in the front. Father, I pray for those today that have stood, who have heard your call. We've heard your knock at the door. God, we don't want to hold on to anything that you tell us to leave behind. We recognize it's very easy to be deceived by sin. And sometimes it even looks good. Sometimes it's cloaked in religious jargon, religious activity and behavior. But God, we want to be a people that pursue your kingdom first. To pursue you above everything else. We want you to be our provider. We don't need our boss to notice us. The only eye we want to catch is yours. God, we don't want to try to catch the eye of the members of the opposite sex. The only eye we want to catch is yours. Because God, we know that if we pursue you first and we pursue your kingdom first, we trust that you're going to bring everything else we need in its time. We want to be just responsive to your word. We want the righteousness of Christ to cover our lives. We don't want to be proud of the right things we've done. And we don't want to be condemned by the wrong things we've done. We want to put on the robes of righteousness that are ours through Christ Jesus today. And God, we want an ointment for our eyes to be able to see what you see. To be able to see what you see. We want to see ourselves the way you do as sons and daughters of God. We want to see the members of this body the way you do as sons and daughters of God. We want to see even those who hurt us and fail us as members of your household. As those prodigals, maybe, that are gone. As those elder brothers that are still at home. But God, they're your children. And you love them. And you gave yourself for them. We want to see them the way you see them. We want to take on your nature and your character in every part of our lives. Holy Spirit, don't allow us to be overwhelmed by our condition. We do not want to be overwhelmed with sorrow. We want the type of sorrow that leads us to repentance. So show us the areas of our hearts in our lives that we need to turn away from. And give us the grace to follow after you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, God, over this congregation today, I pray your blessing. May you bless them and keep them. May you cause your face to shine on them. Would you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you need prayer, our prayer team is here in the front. If you need to be dismissed, 
Just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time in prayer before they go.